If you put your effort and concentration into playing to your potential to be the best that you can be, I don't care what the scoreboard says, at the end of the game, in my book, we're going to be winners. The talent for so many players today, the talent in the spotlight, it's taking them to heights that their character's not strong enough to support. I'm one of those set goals achievements. I talked about faith, passion, obviously the drive the guys that I've been around and the guys that surround me every single day. If I want to be one of the best, I've got to play with and against the best. Okay, so that which gets praised gets repeated. You're listening to The Hardwood Hustle, brought to you by PGC Basketball. Hey coaches, TJ here. Are you tired of not having a clear roadmap or blueprint for how you get better as a coach? I've spent countless hours searching the web and coaching videos. I've subscribed to dozens of emails to get ideas on how to get better. And I've even been to every coach's clinic imaginable to try and piece together how to be more successful. I've ended up with notebooks and computer files packed with millions of drills, plays, and nuggets of wisdom, but there's no clear game plan for how to use them or how to know what might be missing. Getting better shouldn't be this hard. You shouldn't have to sort through all this clutter to get what you really need. You deserve to have the game plan, the resources, and the experts you need at your fingertips. And you should have all of these things when you need them most. And that's why we spent the past year creating a new program for coaches called Key 5 Coaching. It's a one-stop shop for all coach education, inspiration, and support you need to get better as a coach. We recently opened up 500 membership spots to our PGC coaching community and the spot sold out in less than 36 hours. So you can't get in presently, but I highly recommend adding your name to the wait list for when we allow additional coaches to get in. Just go to key5coaching.com and take 30 seconds to sign up for the wait list. You can read all about the key five pillars of coaching while you're there. That's key5coaching.com. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to The Hardwood Hustle. I'm your host, Adam Bradley, alongside TJ Rosine. Got a special episode for you today. Before we do, let's catch up with our friends over at Shot Tracker. Our friends over at Shot Tracker are changing the game with their new revolutionary technology that is making basketball more efficient and effective at all levels. Shot Tracker is made up of three components. There's a Shot Tracker-enabled ball, player sensors, and anchors in the rafter. And combining them all gives you high-level, detailed analytics to be able to track everything your players are doing, spacing, movement, shot efficiency. It's absolutely incredible. Check out ShotTracker.com to learn more about how you can get connected to ShotTracker and begin changing the game for your team. TJ, today we're going to be talking about the role of the specialists. I'm intrigued with this topic and certainly curious your opinion. I was listening to a podcast recently, and John Bayline, the current coach of the Cleveland Cavaliers and former coach of the University of Michigan, was referring to a lesson that he got from Rudy Tomjanovich early in his coaching career where Rudy Tomjanovich said, the goal is not to build and collect a masses of talent. It is to build a team. It's not to collect a big group of talent. It's to build a team. And essentially what he's referring to is this need to build a team and have different parts playing different roles, essentially playing into this theme of the specialist, right, where you've got different individuals that have different skill sets. I want to break that down. You know, how much do you 
build your team for specialists. I'd like to dig into your thought from a recruiting perspective. Are you identifying and saying, we are low on three-point shooting specifically. We need to go after that now. Is that a thought process that's within your team? How much do you rely on the specialists throughout the year? What is their role? How much do you play into the liability on the other end? So let's say they're an offensive specialist, a three-point shooting specialist, but they're a liability on the other end, defensive and vice versa. How do you manage that dynamic? I think this whole topic of specialists is really, really intriguing and one that coaches need to get a grasp on as it relates to their team. Yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's really interesting. And, you know, one of the things that I – find really intriguing about the game of basketball is that i do think it changes and i do think trends change and i think people um either they either have to keep up with the trend or intentionally buck the trend in the way that you coach a team so i would say before i like offer an opinion on it is i would say that the uh the trend is changing in a lot of ways i think people um, from every level, and I think it usually trickles down from the NBA. NBA. But I think the, uh, the 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 move is more towards uh, players with diverse skill sets and less of the specialist. I'm not saying that's right or that's wrong. I just think that everybody's looking for that three and D guy or that three and D girl. And it's um, can they shoot past dribble? Can they stretch the floor? And so I think that uh, what I've seen more over the last, you know, five years or so at least is more of a trend for interchangeable players than I have specialists. Is that a result of the coach's desire or is that a result of the players not settling to just be a specialist? You know, I think about players and just in their own personal development and this constant striving to grow, right, off season and working on different skill sets where I wonder if it's – the coaches dictating that or the players just not leaving themselves exclusive to a certain skill set. I think individuals like a Kyle Korver are rare these days where Kyle Korver, who made it clear that he was a three-point specialist, I think today's player wants to be more well-rounded, wants to have multiple skill set, and maybe they don't see the value of just being a specific specialist. But I don't know if it's from the – I wonder if it's from the coaches pushing that as a need or the players just desiring different skill sets? Yeah, I think it's, you know, a little bit of both, to be honest with you. I mean, I, I think that players are, um, are you know, are thinking about it being more diverse. And I think the three-point line has changed what they emphasize a lot of. And then I think, um, you know, I think coaches are also looking for that type of player. Now, the funny thing is, is, I think sometimes coaches are overlooking the specialist and taking a lesser of a player that they think is more diverse, which may not be the most, the best decision, you know, either. And then when you're in high school, like you, you know, I think the best coaches I've been around in high school, they adjust, they realize, Hey, I've got, you know, three diverse players, three specialists, three, whatever. And they fit those players into the best system. Cause you don't always have that luxury in high school. And so a lot of how successful, they can or can't be is how well they can use specialists. I, I agree with that, but I, I still find it interesting because I, I think the need for a specialist is still there. I think if you were to talk to most GMs around the league, they're they're 
at the point with their teams where they're looking for the specialists. You you hear it, right? Like we need more three point shooting. We we need more rebound. We need more toughness, and they're looking for specific things. And I think when they go and they start scanning the G League space, for example. I don't think they're looking for diverse players out of the G League, for example. I, I think they're looking to pull up specialists, right? Saying our team has a weakness in this specific area. So I wonder from a player's perspective if they're trying to be diverse, but I wonder if they're missing out on opportunities if they were to focus more on being a specialist and being extremely dominant in a single skill set. Yeah, you know, it's kind of a catch-22 in a lot of ways because there's um – there's a uh, a lot of non-specialists, a lot of players that work on everything, and therefore they got good enough at nothing to make them an impact player, whether it's in high school or whether it's in college, whatever. They just they they've been so diversified that they haven't got good enough at anything. And to be honest with you, that's probably the most common player that we see in recruiting. So when we're recruiting players. Yeah, you know, they can shoot it a little bit. They can dribble it a little bit. They can defend a little bit. They can do a whole bunch of a lot of things a little bit. Uh, But, you know, I would prefer a player that's going to be the best player on the floor at defense, the best player on the floor at shooting, the best player on the floor at creating or whatever it is, because then you have something the other team doesn't have. Uh, The most common player we have in a workout, and to be honest with you, most players we have in workouts, they're good at a lot of things. They're pretty decent at a lot of things, but not good enough at anything to separate themselves. So let's go on in the theme of recruiting. Let's talk about your actual strategy, you with your assistant coaches. When you are game planning who you're going after and who you're targeting, and obviously you have to be selective. You've, You've got to be smart and strategic on who you go after. Are you looking at your team in line of the Rudy Tomjanovich where you're trying to build a team, not just collect talent? Are you saying we need to recruit three-point shooters this year? We need to recruit size and toughness. Like, How does that conversation play out? Or is it saying, hey, we're, we're looking for the best basketball player and just leaving it more open-ended? Yeah, you know, that's a good question. I, I shared with you before the George Raveling thing. You know, He says you got six or seven starters. You know, and then you have the two or three specialists, and he thinks that's how a good team's made up. You know, you have the other people that aren't going to play um, so much, but you have those six or seven players that you feel like are starters. And then, you know, when you play zone this particular night, you're going to have a bunch of, um, you know, a bunch of specialist shooters going to get some more minutes. When it's pressure defense, those specialist shooters probably aren't going to get as many minutes or whatever their specialty is. You know, it's going to it's going to ebb and flow uh, their playing time based on that. Um, I, you know, I think. The, the interesting you know thing about that is as you as you're looking and recruiting you're trying to find the different types of players it, it can be troublesome if everybody is the same player you know and they don't have some diversity in your players and you have you know you need this on a particular night or need that on a particular night I've seen a lot of teams fall on that sword too you know they got a, maybe a bunch of athletes that can guard and defend but maybe there's a really skilled team and they need to do this on this particular night but they don't have those type of players Um you know, so I think coaches got to go into it building that type of uh, philosophy of, of am I trying to, you know, build a type of team that has six, seven players that are kind of diverse, but I've got my three specialists. I think you're thinking about that kind of stuff in recruiting. I don't know that I have the exact right answer, but I think most coaches tend to probably recruit to their philosophy um, a little bit. I've got a great uh, thought from a coach that they shared on Twitter. I want to jump into that, but before we do, let's catch up with our friends over at Team Snap. 
Thanks to our friends over at TeamSnap for today's halftime communication tip. This week, coaches, I'd love for you to put the sticker over your communication that says fragile. Handle with care. See, if you think about it, communication is simply transferring information from one person to another or from one place to another. Transferring information. Now, think about when we move physical product, especially if there's a fragile component to it. We want to handle it with care as we transfer it from one place to another. Communication should be no different. We are communicating and transferring information from one place to another, from one person to another. And I think we should handle it with the same delicate care, thought and concern and intentionality as we would maybe our valued possessions. This week, coaches, think a little deeper. Handle with care the communication as you're communicating with your fellow coaches or with your players. Don't just simply communicate. Be intentional to make sure you are carefully communicating. Thanks to our friends over at TeamSnap. Make sure you check out TeamSnap.com backslash hustle to learn more about the communication app being used by over 15 million people across the globe. That's TeamSnap.com backslash hustle. Get started today. TJ, I want to share this tweet that we received in, in light of this topic from Coach Dennis 23 He says, I personally only use my offensive specialists in certain situations. Defensive liability is rarely worth the offensive possibility. But my defensive specialists don't sit. If you're a lockdown or on-ball defender, great help side defender, you don't sit. Defensive liability is rarely worth the offensive possibility. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think it's I think it's an intelligent thought. I mean, I, I think that um, it is harder to overcome, you know, that offensive that liability on you know on the defensive end if they're just an offensive specialist. Now, it, it, it varies sometimes. And we had a specialist last year who's a really really good shooter, and man, he could go three six nine twelve in a hurry. Uh, but if he wasn't on, um, you know, he could give up two four six eight in a hurry. And, and so that that was, you know, uh, one of those game time things. And there was particular teams going into the game. We knew it was a better roll of the dice than others. Uh, and what would determine what would determine that going into a game? A lot of times the way they defended, uh, you know, like, for instance, if a team you know did a great job of, you know, hugging a shooter and taking a shooter out of the game. We knew that he might not get a lot of bucks. Now, that didn't mean he wouldn't play. We would try and run some more you know, ISO drive situations to his side because there would be no help defense, you know. So it doesn't mean they wouldn't play in that particular situation. But we also knew if they were zone, you know, we had a lot of things we were going to do to get him some shots. Now, I will – and that he, he usually was going to play a lot. Now, I will say one of the better ways to use an offensive specialist is what we call in a hurry. And so, for instance, we don't want to give that offensive specialist six, eight, nine minutes to figure out if they're hot, if they're warm, you know, if they can play that night or whatever. I'd rather get him three or four, three attempts in two and a half minutes. And then if they're falling, let's roll with them. And if they're not, let's go back to D mm. rather than stretch that over a long period of time where we're giving up points during that time. Mm. Good feedback there. You know, I- I'm intrigued with the specialists growing not to be a diversified player fully, but building a secondary skill set. And I just want to get your thoughts on this. I think about Bruce Bowen, right? 
Bruce Bowen, for the longest time with the San Antonio Spurs, was a defensive specialist. But by the end of his career, he became a defensive specialist and a corner three shooter. Right. In fact, if you actually look at his numbers later in his career, he was shooting 42 percent from the corner three and he was shooting 30 percent from everywhere else beyond the arc. And it actually got to a point late in his career where 45 percent of the shots he took of all field goal attempts that he took were corner threes. And he evolved into a sniper from that position and became extremely valuable, even more so than he ever was for the Spurs run. And he kind of is the fourth player that doesn't get talked about outside of Mono, um, Duncan, and, Geno- and and Parker. But I'm intrigued with this, right? So he basically came in the league and made his mark on his defensive specialists. But then I think what happened is they began to see like, hey, as a result of our other skill sets, you're going to have opportunities in this corner three. I wonder if at some point in his career there was an intentional conversation and said, listen, I still don't need you to create. I don't need you to bring the ball up. You're not going to be breaking pressure. You're not going to be doing any of that. But you are going to be in this position, and I need you to become a specialist there as well. Have you noticed in your career where a player may have come in with a single specialist skill set and then you've evolved it slightly, just adding one additional thing and then made them work on that. Yeah, I, I think that's a really um, – I actually think it's a really uh, good philosophy is to just narrow in on one thing. I, I honestly believe that once a player gets to a certain age, it's really hard. to Like I'm very pro develop everything at young ages. As they get older, I'm very pro take a deep dive into one or two things. And so, like, when a player gets to college, of course we want to make them better. When a player gets to be their senior year in high school, of course we want to make them better. But I do think you begin to narrow the focus the older they do get. And so what can we make this person good at besides just the one thing they do well? And I think coaches often make the mistake of trying to make them good at three or four things and by just saying – something like you just gave an example of bone, let's just make them a knockdown corner three guy, or let's make them, you know, whatever that particular thing that can serve the team is. And, and it proves out to be extremely valuable when you're able to lay that out. Right. I, I want to know from your experience, do you actually identify that with some players? Has there been moments where you've ad- adopted just based on the flow of the game that certain players are in certain spots where you say, Hey, listen, th- this is the reality. You're going to get a ton of looks right here. And I know that's not your skill set now, but as it relates to this team and your role, like I need you over the next two months to commit to making X amount of shots on every single day from this spot because I'm going to make you into a specialist. Yeah, I think there's short term and long term. You know, we were actually just working on with this with our team yesterday. You know, we were giving them uh, in the in the short term, like right now you can do this offensively. Let's just say you're a driver or let's just say that you're a shooter. Like this is what you do really well um, offensively. And now outside of that, what can you do to make the offense better? So this wasn't even actually anything they needed to work on. It's just maybe they needed to be a better spacer. They needed to be a better cutter. They needed to screen better. They And so giving players the short term, here's what you can do to help yourself better succeed right now. And what you now here's your long term. In the long term, yeah, we know you can drive and create. We would love for you to be able to now hit the corner three, let's say, you know, whatever. Or we we know you can hit the corner three. We'd love for you to be able to shot fake 
and create closeouts off of one dribble to keep the ball moving for us. You know, whatever that long term is, but sometimes players need both. They need a long term of what's going to help them succeed their sophomore, junior, or senior year, but they also need what can help me right now to help the team be better. And a lot of times you can also give them short term fixes um, to help them help the team more. And rather than just focusing on the long-term development as well. I'd be curious to ask retired players to reflect back on their careers and see where they stand on this subject. I suspect that if you were to ask retired players if they regret to some degree not honing in on one or two things even greater – I, I bet they all would acknowledge they wish they had. I, I just get that sense, TJ, and you know where they, they would look back and say, yeah, you know what, you're probably right. I, I do wish I was just more of a knockdown outside you know, three-point shooter. Man, I, I do wish I had spent more time studying this part and becoming even better. That would be my guess. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think so. And, you know, probably the, one of the most underestimated, I think what Coach was referring to from what you shared earlier is – and most of the time when we think about, I mean, even the examples we've given, hey, I wish I would get better at this. To be honest with you, most of the time you and I are given examples, it's shooting something, <laughs> you know, and there's there's two reasons. For, uh, you know, there's one big reason for that is one, it's always easier to keep the, somebody on the floor that can put the ball in the basket, you know, like kind of opposite of what coach was saying earlier. It, it is it is hard. Um, it is really hard to keep somebody that can score the ball off the floor. There's, there's no doubt about that. But it's also equally hard, in my opinion, to keep somebody off the floor that can cover up defensive mistakes. I've had a few handful of players in my time that just cover up for your team. I'm not really as intrigued, to be honest with you, with a lockdown defender on ball. Like, I love those guys. But the player that can just clean up you know they make a mistake and they tip a ball you make a mistake and they take a charge on the backside. you make a mistake and they go get this rebound because they're just going after like players that can cover up defensive flaws are also really hard i think that's what coach was alluding to earlier it's really hard to keep off the floor so those are the two hardest players i've ever found to keep off the floor one is that can just score the ball. And two is somebody that can clean up defensive mistakes. I think about the run that the Memphis Grizzlies had for many years and the player that can clean up defensive mistakes and just how valuable that grit and grind era. Um, you know, a lot of people always would talk about a Zach Randolph and Marcus Saul and um, uh, Mike Conley at the point. But when you would hear players talk about that team, it was interesting they always would bring up Tony Allen, right? Mm, that that yeah. defensive specialist that, that was able to get everybody at another level on the defensive end and was able to, and against what you just said, but a, a literal like smothering defender on ball, but also able to do so many other things on the defensive end where it's pretty fascinating if you find specialists that are sometimes skilled, especially on the defensive side, to coach's point, that defensive specialist can raise the whole entire level of all five on the defensive end, and that specialist becomes like exponentially more effective, right? Yeah, yeah, no doubt. You know, there, there, there are the. I mean, I can I can count on one hand those players that I've had in my eighteen to twenty years coaching. You know, like there, there's. I mean, there's players that played hard, and there's players that did this and did that, but players that just 
absolutely made your defense better and cleaned things up. They're rare. And um, having having those people can change the whole dynamic of the team. Coaches, we hope this episode was helpful as you continue just managing and navigating the role of the specialists on your team and as you're working to build your team, identifying what's going to put the perfect pieces to in place to allow you to be successful. TJ, always appreciate you. Listen, I am Adam. He is TJ Rosine. Together, we are the Hardwood Hustle. Until next time, we're out.